Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And here we are for another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, streaming live from the White Stallion Ranch, just north of Tucson. Afternoon, I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker de France is here. David Layton is here as well, a freelance journalist. Thank you. Thank you very there. much. And, uh, are you free or and, are you just reasonable? Yeah, he's reasonable. In Los yeah, Angeles, it's our good buddy Todd Roberts, and our guest is uh, going to be Al Fleming. And uh, the book is Following That Dream from Elvis to Hollywood, and we'll get with Al in just a moment. But first, you've got okay. some Well, uh, first quickly... of all, I just want to bring over here up to the fact that uh, lawyers, bankers, and big land ranchers all try to steal the little guy blind. Well, what else now, is now, now? Now, getting down to the cert, this is the, this is kind of the news of the week. Uh, last Wednesday, the fifteenth, Bill Catching, that was his birthday. Bill was a mentor of mine, one of the top stunt coordinators in Hollywood for years. Worked with Roy Rogers, a bunch of other people. Anyway, uh, Bill is gone now, but it uh, Wednesday was his birthday. Now, coming up next Monday, and that's the twentieth. That's going to be Audie Murphy's birthday. He was born in 1921, uh, I believe. And this, I don't know about here, but I think on Grit, they're playing all-day Audie Murphy movies one day this week. The most decorated man in World War II. That is right. And then on the 21st is National Indigenous Day in Canada. Why don't we have one in America? I don't know. And also on the 21st is the first day of summer. On the 24th is San Juan's Day, which is the right Hispanic to, uh, beginning of oh. the monsoon in Tucson. That's oh. what they, they use that day as a marking because San Juan was going, you know, tornado was going through here. They were needing water. They prayed, and on San Juan's Day, and it rained. There you go. So that's it. And also, a local, a local icon uh, just passed away, Baxter Black. Uh, hell of a cowboy poetry, a poet. He'll be missed and storyteller. I used to look forward to uh, every month's Western Horseman because he always had a little story on the last page. So anyhow, Baxter, amigo, when you get up there, all your buddies say howdy for us. It's still behind. There you go. All right, Al Fleming, uh, following that dream from Elvis to Hollywood. You know, it must be a real popular book because they've only got one left on Amazon. How you doing, Al? Well, I'm better enough. How about you guys? We're doing well, sir. Uh, yeah. Th- th- yeah, I read this book. Todd sent it to me, uh, and uh, I read this in like in one sitting. It was, <laughs> it was a hoot, just incredible. Uh, here's what it says on Amazon. I read it twice. Yeah, here's, here's what it says on Amazon. Think about it. How likely would it be that Elvis Presley, one of the world's biggest stars, would come to a remote town on the west coast of Florida to make a movie and by sheer blind luck would get to meet and work with the guy. It seems so improbable and uh, yet it was the one big event in Al's life that would change his future. Talk about that, Al. How in the hell did that happen? Oh, gosh. I've been charmed in my life and this is probably the biggest charm yet. Uh, back in the 61, I was living in a little town called Crystal River, Florida which was 200 people, and most of those were fishing guides and commercial fishermen. And I was working at a hotel called the Packet Boat, a little small resort hotel on a small river there in Florida. And I was teaching water skiing and skin diving and had a little business at the hotel. And (laughs) one day a buddy of mine came in, who we were always screwing around with each other, and he said, hey, Elvis is coming to town and going to make a movie, and he's staying right here at this hotel. And I figured... Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, kind of, I, I dismissed that as just uh, someone pulling my leg, you yeah, know. And yeah. uh, I got about a week later, people started showing up and coming around, you know, Hollywood-looking people, which I'd never seen before. I was a confirmed swamp rat. I'd never left more than St. Petersburg. It was the farthest <laughs> way I got from Christopher River in my life. Yeah. So I was a hillbilly swamp kid that <laughs> didn't have much knowledge of anything except the surrounding areas. Yeah. And one day I'm in my little business sitting there, and all of a sudden there, there's sirens going. There's more people I've ever seen in my life flooding this little roadway coming into this uh, hotel we're working at. And they 
friend of mine came running. He says, hey, hey, Elvis is here. And I said, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I, I couldn't leave the shop because I, you know, with all the people around, I had to kind of stay and watch the, the old home posts there. And, right. Uh, I, I heard flashbulbs going off and people yelling and girls screaming. And I mean, it's a big commotion and looked out the uh, big plexiglass window we had in this little store I was in. And I didn't see anything except reporters and people yelling and people running around and cops and everything. I went, wow, this, maybe Elvis is here. So anyhow, I didn't get to see Elvis's arrival. And the next morning, I did my routine of going out to the docks. And bailing out all the boats and getting all the boats ready for missile that day and all the diving gear. And I happened to look over at, across the little bay there that uh, was probably 50, 50 feet from the docks there where the cabins were lined up. And there stood Elvis and his entourage. And I was out there and I looked up. <laughs> and I can, I've got to be honest with you, I froze. I didn't know what the hell to do, man. I'd never seen a celebrity. And I, Elvis was... If I ever had an idol, Elvis was probably my idol growing up in the 50s, of course. And here I'm standing looking eye-to-eye to Elvis, and I had no idea what to say. I was, I was frozen like a deer in the headlights. And uh, he said, hey, man, how's it going? I, I, I stuttered and stammered. I don't know what I said, something stupid, I'm sure. And kind of stumbled back into the little, little office I had there. And I'm thinking to myself, what a dumbass. I mean, I made a fool of myself. I'm hillbilly heaven, man. I'm just going to go jump in the rock, <laughs> in a lake with a rock on my head. I said, here's a, my biggest title I've ever had in my life. I stood face to face with him and didn't know what to say or how to react or wow. anything. So, anyhow, time went on and uh, I kind of beat myself up qu- quite a bit. And uh, a fellow walked into the uh, store there and he, he introduced himself as, as Alan Fortas. He said, is there a, a lumber yard here in the town? I said, well, there is. It's, you know, go downtown, do this and that, and he's found the lumber yard. And I said, well, yeah, he, it's easy to find. It's one of the biggest things in town. So he thanked me and left. And about an hour later, I noticed he was coming back, and he was carrying a whole shoulder load of, load of uh, pine boards. I went, what the hell are they doing? They're probably going to build clubs to beat off the fans and take them away from the building and everything. And Freddie, my buddy, came in. He says, hey, did you see Elvis? And I said, yeah, I saw Elvis, and I made an ass of myself. Mm. And he says, oh, I did the same. Thanks. Don't worry about it. So anyhow, Alan came back, and he said, hey, uh, we'd like to rent a boat and uh, kind of see the river. Is that possible? I said, well, heck, yes. I'm your captain, and uh, I said, what, what, how many people be coming? He said, probably about four, probably four, maybe five. So I said, okay, I'll get the boat ready whenever you want it. Just give me a call and come on over, and we'll go down the river. I said, by the way, what, what, uh, I noticed you carrying a bunch of boards in the, uh, you know, in the room there, if you missed it. What are you doing? Are you making clubs or what? And he says, oh, no. He said, Elvis cracks karate, and he breaks those boards with his hands. And I went, bullshit. <laughs> I'd never heard of karate before being a small rat, you know, and uh, I said, that's a bunch, you're, you're just playing with me. I know I'm an ignorant hillbilly, but that can't happen. He said, no, really serious. He breaks these boards with his hand. I went, okay. Mm-hmm. I figured, well, they've got me for sure. So, anyhow, we all showed up that afternoon, and we piled on the boat, and I was, I mean, I was like a young bride. I didn't know what to do. I was so nervous that I could hardly start the boat when he got in there, because mm-hmm. here's Elvis and a bunch of the guys that with his entourage and going down the river in my boat. So I cranked the thing up and we started putting down the river and everything. And I was pointing out various landmarks and he worked his way back to the back of the boat where I was running the motor and everything. And he starts asking me questions about this and that and the other thing. And after a while I said, well, shit, he's just, he's just like I am. He's a young Southern boy and uh, really down to earth and there's nothing phony about him. I kind of like this guy. So, after the boat trip, uh, he said, well, you know, have you ever been on a movie set? And I said, well, no, gosh, I've never even thought about going on a movie set. And he said, well, we're going to be filming about five miles down the road here. He said, why don't you stop by the set, and we'll show you around, and you can watch us film some, some of the movie. I went, well, that 
that would be great. So <laughs> the next morning, I was there at 4 o'clock in the morning before the sun <laughs> come up, waiting for everybody to show up. And yeah. I was amazed because, like I said, I'd never been on a movie location or a movie set. And here comes truck after truck after truck, and people piling all these trucks with all this equipment and everything. I, I was really amazed. This, this, this is a whole new world for me. I got to talking to some of the crew and some of the people that worked on the show, and they all seemed like they're pretty nice folks and everything. And uh, then all of a sudden, here comes Elvis and his entourage and a couple of other actors and everything. And I was kind of hanging back, not wanting, wanting to be in the way and watching everything that went on. And uh, Alan came over to me and says, hey, glad you could make it out here. He says, uh, come on, let's go get a cup of coffee. So we walked over, got a cup of coffee, and I said, well, what should I do? He says, no, just, just hang out with us. You'll be okay. Nothing, nothing big about it. We're going to film a few scenes. You'll be able to watch them. And so I'm watching almost every movie made and thinking, wow, this guy is pretty cool. He's a good-looking guy. He's a seemingly down to earth. He's nothing, nothing phony about it. And he, he just plays with the guys out there playing football so I was a, you know I played football in high school so I got out there and tossed the ball to them a little bit and uh, Alan comes there and says uh, Elvis is going to go in for makeup you know and it, he'll be out probably in 30 minutes or so and I went Elvis wears makeup <laughs> he said yeah I said is he a sissy what is he <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said, a man wearing makeup, I, that's, that's odd. He's so yeah. nervous. That, that's just what you do in the film industry and everything. I went, okay, you know. And so pretty much soon he came out, and he's all made up, and he'd come over and slap me. He says, thought I was a sissy, huh? So I went, well, my, not really. I'd never seen makeup being put on a man before, you know. And where I came from, a man wore makeup, and, uh, you know, you kind of had a... Oh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little funny feeling about it. You want to be alone in the dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyhow, I got I hung out on the show there for a while and just really liked it and got a few little jobs. I got the doubling in one scene and got fifty bucks for jumping out of the way of a car. And I went, "Wow, they gave me fifty bucks for something I would have done for nothing." Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a pretty good racket. So <laughs> as time went on, I was out on the set as, as many days as I could and. Uh, Come on, got to, excuse me. In Florida, the rainy season comes in and it rains two or three times a day, and that was kind of interfering with their shooting of the film. And so one day, Alan came over to me and said, "Hey, uh, we're we're gonna shoot. We're gonna wrap shooting here in Florida. We're gonna go back to the to Hollywood and shoot the rest of it on a stage stage against blue screen." Of course, I didn't know what blue screen was, and he explained it to me. And he said, we're having a little get-together tomorrow night for, you know, people we met and friends and everything, and come over and join us. He wants to say goodbye to everybody. So that night, I showed up over there, and it was a small little crowd, not a big crowd, but a few people. And uh, I was really down. I went, oh, man, this is breaking my heart because I'm, I'm making good money. It was something I'd never seen. It was interesting being around these people. I just thought, oh, this is great and everything. And uh, so I was kind of in a kind of a bummer mood. And um, Elvis kind of looked at me, come over, he goes, hey, man, what's the matter? You look like you're in a bummer. I said, well, you know, I really enjoyed meeting you guys and uh, watching the Hollywood people and the making of the film. And I said, I really enjoyed it. I said, here I am out here in a friggin' podunk town. My only, my only future is a fisherman or, or a guide. And right. I said, I'm going to miss you guys. And it's been really great and he says hey man why don't you go with us why don't you come to Hollywood and go to work for us and I said well what would I do he said don't worry about it we'll find something that you could do <laughs> so I went home that night and I told my I was just just before turning 18 I went home that evening and told my mom I said mom I'm going to Elvis going to Hollywood with Elvis and she says like hell you are <laughs> and I said no I'm leaving I, through my childhood there, my biggest thing in Florida was going out on the islands and in the swamps and looking for Indian artifacts. Sure. I had quite a collection of arrowheads and various things I'd found around the <laughs> county there. And there was a uh, fairly wealthy guy that lived in our little town. He wrote insurance for uh, Ringling Brothers and all the different circuses and fair, and he worked, worked for Lloyds of London. He had money. He'd always wanted to buy my collection, and so having no money, I called him. I said, I will sell you my arrowheads, but I have to do it right now because I'm leaving in the morning. 
When he came over and gave me 200 bucks for my collection, that, that was more money than I'd ever had in my hand in my life. <laughs> and I hooked it out the next morning in my 52 Mercury jalopy, and it made it as far as Gila Bend, Arizona, that it blew up, and there I was. <laughs> stuck, in, stuck in the old west with a blown-up car and not much, not much money left in my pocket, and didn't nope. know what to do, but uh, there was a character well, Yes. I, I, I didn't want to interrupt, but uh, you missed one of my favorite parts of the whole book, and that's when your mom had Elvis over for dinner, and I oh, just yeah, love well, that part. Doing uh, singing gospels, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my mother always liked Elvis. It's funny, when I was growing up, my parents pretty much let me kind of do what I wanted to do as long as I didn't burn the house down or kill somebody, you know? And she was always an Elvis fan. And my dad, when he was on TV, he came and get me. He says, hey, Al, come on out here. That crazy man's on TV. <laughs> and he said, he'd sit there and laugh at Elvis like he just had a good time with it. And, of course, I was taking it very seriously. Well, when I, was, I don't know, a couple weeks into working with them around them, I should say I didn't work there every day. But, uh, my mother said, why don't you invite him to dinner? Because he probably hadn't had a good home-cooked meal in a while. And I said, oh, hell, he, he'd never come out to our little shack and have <laughs> food with us, you know. So I said, what the hell, i got nothing to lose. So I told Alan and I became buddies. And I said, Alan, do you think my mother wants to invite Elvis to dinner? He said, well, that would be great. Can you do that? I said, I said well, sure. So I went over and said, Elvis, uh... My mom's a big fan of yours, and uh, she would like to invite you over for a home-cooked chicken dinner. And he says, Southern Fried Chicken? I said, well, you bet. He says, what time? <laughs> I told him, and uh, I figured he's not going to show up. He's going to make an excuse. And by golly, he and, he and Red West and uh, Alan showed up. By golly, they sit there and ate fried chicken and biscuits and hush puppies and, you know, like a lot of good Southern my mother was a great cook. Nice. And uh, my mother played the piano by ear, so she had an old rickety piano there, and Elvis says, hey, do you play music? She says, well, I banged some songs out and kind of played by ear. He says, what do you know? And she, I think it was, uh, God, what was this song? It was a Nettie Arnold song, but I can't remember what it was. Okay. So she started, you know, banging away, and she sang a little bit. And he, they started singing and harmonized together and sat there for about an hour just singing wow. some old gospel songs and uh, things that she'd come up with. And, wow. And I, I, I wished I'd had a video camera in those days because yeah. I would love to have photographs of that. No kidding. Wow. We didn't take many pictures because I was kind of embarrassed to be taking pictures of a sure. movie star and a singer like that. So um, I've got a few pictures that some buddies of mine took of myself and Elvis on the set, but that's about it, really. How cool. Isn't that a perfect picture of perfect. the kind of guy Elvis was that yeah. she never, people yeah. didn't know? Oh, no, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, he was down to earth. I can honestly say, and Elvis Presley changed my life because yeah. had he not come to town, I probably would have stayed right there in that little town like everybody else that I knew did and become, yep. like I say, a fisherman or a guide. Wow. All right, we're going to do our first commercial break. We're talking with author Al Fleming. He's not only an author, he's an actor, he's a stuntman, he's a makeup artist. We'll get to all of that uh, in our next go-around here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts, David Layton. We'll be back with much more right after these important messages. Stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly 
Ranch Rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I, Miss Wilkinson, is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank of Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Remember, all of you, we're playing for big stakes, mighty big stakes, an empire of cattle and land. The Diamond Hitch is not only the key ranch, but it controls the water privileges of the entire district. Once I take over, I'm clamping down. No more free water. That means that the other ranches will dry up like dust and blow away. This is the Voices of the West. I'm just a carefree cowboy Riding down the trail singing Ki-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-
when they opened the gate, I think I think he made one or two hops before my ass was thrown up into the <laughs> atmosphere, and I came down with a big crash and knocked myself out. And they hauled me into the emergency room there at the arena, and uh, when I woke up, I I was you know kind of goofy and everything, and I looked up and I saw it's this looking clown staring at him. It scared me at first. I, didn't know. I thought maybe maybe I'd been killed and what the hell, I didn't know. <laughs> and, and as I kind of got my senses back to me, this guy kind of helped me set up and he says, boy, he says, if I ever see you on a bull again, I'm going to let that sucker stomp your little ass into the ground because you ain't no bull rider. You're too damn big and you're too clumsy. And I promised him right then and there, I said, you'll never see me on a bull again as long as I live. And that was Slim Pickens back in the old early days when he was Slim. Wow. And we became, uh, you know, pretty friendly. There. He, every once in a while, he'd come out to do some of the local rodeos and shows and everything and personal appearances. And my dad actually sold him an army mule one time and he came out the house and had dinner with us and did you ever run into? Did you run into Slim during your uh, Hollywood career? They became well, I, actually, I did. Yeah, we became best friends. Oh, yeah. Up until the time he passed away, right, right. and uh, of course, I he, he was a uh, Slim was what you saw is what you got. There was yep. nothing phony about Slim. He was down to earth and just like I say, we became best friends. We hunted together and traveled together a lot and everything. And when he was working in town, he usually stayed at my place and uh, you know told me what happened. He was doing a film called Blazing Saddles. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he cut into me one night, and he, he slim. He had a great sense of humor. He could tell a great story. We're sitting out having something to eat, and he says, Al, he says, let me tell you something. They'll never get this son of a gun on the, on the film. They'll never get this son of a gun on the film. I said, well, why? He says, well, they're calling niggers niggers, and they're calling stick sticks. And I said, they're, they're insulting everybody that they can think of. And he says, I'm just, I'm just taking a paycheck. They'll never show this thing. And I went, well, probably not. But those days, you know. And, yep. Uh, you know, it became a hell of a big hit. And uh, right. Back in those days, you could you could laugh at things like that, yeah. not take them real seriously like the dear days. I know. Today, and they knew it was done in good faith, so yeah. there was nothing really racial about it. It was, it was, it was comedy. That was, you know, part of, the, part of the, the bit they did in those days. And it, it worked. And, uh. Today you'd probably be tarred and feathered and uh, put in jail somewhere. But <laughs> no we doubt talk about that. <laughs> Todd Roberts, get in here. What's what's? Uh, this, well, this I is just, your friend, I love man. sitting here listening <laughs> to all my owl stories because, you know, I used to go to the Algonquin Cowboy lunches here in Los Angeles, and Al would I'd sit next to Al. He was the only guy that I ever knew had a physique like, you know, uh, uh, Adonis and was older than basically everybody at the table, and he'd order steak, eggs, and uh, eat it like it was nothing. And every other guy around the table was, I'll have a salad. And, you know, and Al would sit there and eat his steak and eggs and, you know, just tell stories and so on. And it's such a pleasure to do this. Al, I've got to have you. I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, you tell the next story, whatever you want to tell. You just have to promise me you have to tell the story of sword fighting with Oliver Reed. Oh, God, yes. By the end oh, of the show. Yeah, we'll, we'll okay. do that after the next commercial break because that one is involved. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. takes a bit to set That's that a one up. Story. Yeah. That's a great story. So you story. Tell, tell another story, Al. <laughs> I mean, you have so well, you many know, great stories about Hollywood. Hey, you know, the story that comes to mind, we were talking about Slim, you know, and Slim was living up in Auburn, California at that time, and my bike place was right in between there, so he would always stop by and... Inevitably, I'd get a phone call at 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. Hey, Al, what you doing? I said, what in the hell do most people do at 11, 12 o'clock? And I was sleeping. Why? He said, you hungry? <laughs> and I, I knew he was leading to. There was a place in Bakersfield called Bill Lee's, which was open 24 hours a day of chi really good Chinese food. He says, let's go down and get some Chinese food. Hell, I, I never turned it down. You know, it was slim. I, I loved the guy. And he, he was fun to be around. So... I'd meet him down at Bill Lee's, and there, of course, at that time of night, if there was anybody in the restaurant at all, that was mostly just the help and the waiters and everything. And this is the truth. Now, he'd go in there and sit down, and of course, all the people come out and talk to him and want to meet and everything. And he'd say, I, I want one of everything on the menu. <laughs> and they'd go, what? He's, I want one of everything. 
So they start bringing food out. And I don't know if you guys know it, but Slim was a legendary eater. I mean, he yes. ate more food than all three of us put together. And we would literally sit there for a couple hours. He'd tell stories and jokes and keep eating. He'd clean it all up and he'd say, well, i got to get on the road. i got to get home, take off. And it'd be 2.30 in the morning heading, heading home, you know. Wow. But, uh, what was the favorite dish he ate there? And a snack. What was his bed. favorite thing? All, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All of them were his favorite. He just loved food. <laughs> Another funny Slim story. Oh, years ago he called me once at Sunday and he goes, "Hey, Al, you like elk steaks?" And I said, "Well, hell oh, yes." But everybody <laughs> says, "Listen," he says, "I've got twelve elk, elk steaks marinating here at the house, and none of my kids know them. No one will eat them. Do you, you think you got a couple buddies that would want to come up and?" We'll barbecue them and have a feed. And I said, yeah. He said, we'll do this. He says, I'll get in the car. He lives about an hour and a half from me. He said, I'll head on up there, grab a couple of cans of beans and a couple of bottles of wine and call all your buddies and tell them to come over. We're going to eat elk steaks. He said, get the, get the barbecue going. I'll be there in about an hour and a half. So I called everybody I knew, and I couldn't find anybody home. Nobody. <laughs> So Slim pulls in, I got the barbecue pit going and the can of beans boiling and everything. And he steps out and he's looking all around and says, where's your buddy? I said, Slim, it's just me and you. <laughs> he goes, what? I said, yeah, I couldn't find anybody around. I, nobody was at home. So I said, it's up to you. I think I ate two of the steaks. He ate the rest of them. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. Legendary. Wow, that's incredible. Sam Pickens was a, just a wonderful guy. I mean, he just, you know, he always he brought so much in, into my life, you know, as far as being a good friend and traveling with him every time. And, uh, you know, one thing I think I think I, I would like to hear it anyway, because it was very touching, was that you were asked to uh, help with uh, Slim's funeral uh, celebration. Yeah, um, and that's a moving story, and I, I think. <laughs> It is. I'll probably get a lump on my throat, but bear with me. <clears throat> Maggie, his wife, called me, and Daryl and his daughter, she says, and they, they were up in Pinedale, Wyoming, at a ranch up there. And they said, you, you know a lot about the Indian culture. I said, well, I know a little bit, you know, because I've studied all my life. She said, do you know anything about the Blackfoot burial ceremony? I said, I actually know quite a bit about that, because I've I've watched it being done, and I've, I've staged it in films and everything for people. I said, but why? She said, well, Slim loved the Blackfoot Indians. And he said, would you consider coming up to Pinedale and helping us say goodbye to Slim by doing the ceremony with Scatter His Ashes? And, of course, you know, I, I've said yes. I said, I'll leave. Uh, I'll leave it. I think I thought I would leave in about two hours. I got my girlfriend. I said, come on, we're going to Pinedale. And we hooked it up to Pinedale and uh, drove. Pinedale is a little small town in Wyoming. It's a lot bigger now. But in those days, it was just family ranches, basically, in elk, elk country. <clears throat> and so we get to the ranch, and Slim, I mean, it's going to be Maggie and his daughter greeted us. and said, come on into the house. Let's get something cold to drink. You hungry? Let's talk about what we have to do. So I went in there and we sat down at the table. I said, well, let me lay out what, what we have what we have to do if you want to do it right. According to legend and the, the way that Blackfoot they would send a warrior off to his happy hunting ground or beyond whatever you want to call it, I said, did Slim have a, a animal, elk, or anything he'd killed recently that you have the hide of? And she says, well, he killed a little bitty deer and we had the hide tan, but she says, it's real small. I said, well, let me, let me see how big it is. They bring it out. And it, I'm thinking, this is, this is way too small. I said, well, what I have to do, I'll try it. I said, I need to be by myself, and I need to sew this hide up into a bag. And the way they did it, they would sew the sides up, and then leave the, the legs, the bottom legs, open where they're like a funnel. And the ashes were put in the bag, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you later what so anyhow, I go, I go next door in the little cabin we were going to be staying, and I started sewing this thing up, and I, I had the Slim's ashes in a box there on the table, and uh, <clears throat> I told my girlfriend, I said, I don't know if this is going to be big enough. So and what I'm going to tell you is the God's honest truth on my mother's grave, this actually happened. 
I sewed this thing up, and I said, well, let me start putting the ashes in it. And I said, you have to leave the room while I do this. I have to do this by myself. So I started pouring the ashes uh, into the bag, and the when the very last ash dropped in that bag, it was like it was tailor-made for it. So I went ahead and sewed it shut and everything and tied the legs together with another ash and took the bag into the room with the family. I said, okay. The bag was perfect. Uh, it was like Slim was watching me. I said, uh, "Do we? did Slim ever have a, a spot that he likes? He says, yeah, he always told me there was a rancher friend named Mike, Mike Nystrom, who was a local big rancher and born there in Wyoming, and he and Slim were good hunting park, hunting buddies and uh, buddies. And he says, Mike has an elk camp up on top of the mountain there, and that's where Slim loved more than anything. So I said, well, that's where we should do the ash ceremony. But there were some, there were some elderly people that were friends of Slim that were brought in for the, for the funeral or the wake, whatever you want to call it. And I said, well, I, I don't... Uh, how do we get up there? She said, well, you have to go by horseback. She said, but I have rented a helicopter that will take some of the elderly people up to the, the there was, a, there was a, like a lodge on the site there. And we'll, we'll helicopter those folks up there. And I said, well, I would like to ride on horseback. And Daryl Anna's daughter and his other daughter, Maggie Lou, wanted to also ride horseback. And uh, a couple stunt guys that work with Slim, they were just too. And um, <clears throat> I said, okay. Let's do this. Let's take a ride. It was about a two and a half hour ride horseback at the top of the mountain. So I said, let's, let's each carry the bag with, with, with us for a few miles and we'll pass it on. That way it'll be our last ride with Slim until we get to the camp, which we did. And I, I was taking pictures all along of the, the trek and everything and got up, got up to the, the lodge. And there was, a, there was not a large crowd. I'd say there was 15 people there, maybe. And some of them were, were movie people. Some of them were government people. And so that night, we had a big barbecue and feed and had a few drinks. And everything got pretty loose and happy and sad at the same time. And we were all sitting around telling slim stories. And you know, some of them brought tears. Some of them brought laughter. But it was just a very warm, wonderful gathering. And so just as the sun starts to go down, I told Maggie, Slim's wife, and his daughter, I said, we have to go outside and find a location to do the ceremony because we have to do the ceremony at sunup. Mm -hmm. I said, was there, was there a, a spot that Slim liked, you know, talked about anywhere around here? You know, she's, I've got the spot exactly. I said, where is she? He used to talk about sitting in the outhouse with the door open, looking across over the, at the ponds and watching the elk water at sunup. I said, well, that's where we should do it, in front of the outhouse. <laughs> so I said, let's walk out there and find a spot. So now this is going to sound like a made-up story, but I swear to God this is true. We walked out there with this duck. And to lead into this, there was an archaeologist friend of Slim that was with the group inside there, and I'd ask him, being interested in Indian artifacts, I said, do you ever find any Indian artifacts up here or anything? He, he, he said, told me, he said, not this high because it's too high. We find a lot of them down in the lower grounds and everything, but very seldom do we find anything up, up this high. So that leads into this. Anyhow, we were walking out in front of the outhouse door, and I'm looking over. There's a pond. It's a kind of a beautiful setting in the woods. And... Uh, I said, well, gosh, this, this looks like, if Slim liked this spot, this is as good as any. So I'm kicking around. I look down, and it, this, like I said, it's going to sound like hoax. I look down, there was a perfect flint spearhead laying on the ground right wow. on that spot. I mean, absolutely perfect. It chipped out, wow. laying right like someone placed it there. And they had, you have to think of how many people probably walked by that site, sure. over the site, and on the site. So it was something special. So I picked it up and gave it to Maggie. I said, "This, you keep this. This is big medicine. It's just something that uh, shouldn't be here. It is here, and it's here for a reason. So you keep it. Keep this in the family." Mm -hmm. Okay. So we, we go inside. We all turn in. The next morning we get up at the crack of dawn. We all gather, and I tell it tell everybody in the group. I said, "Okay, form a circle." I said, "What happens when you pass the ash bag to your?" to your 
person to the person. I said, you take, open the, the leg there with the thumb, and you, you shake a little bit of ash to the four corners, north, south, east, and west. And as you do it, you can say a silent prayer or goodbye to Slim or whatever you feel like doing. That's what you do when you shake the ash out. And you give each, each one a four shakes, one to the four corners. You pass it to the next person, and that goes around the, the circle. And that's uh, when you vote, we're saying goodbye to Slim, basically. So we do this, and we do this, and there's some, you know, some tears, some joy, anyhow. And there again, this is the God's honest truth. When, when the bag got back around to Maggie, his wife, who ended up with the empty bag, which she was supposed to, it was she took the last bit of ash out of that bag. The coyotes started yipping, and two hawks started circling the area. Wow. And that's the God's honest wow. truth that actually happened. And that, I get chill bumps now talking about it. Yeah. But that's, it's special. that's how we sent Slim on his uh, journey, and it was a very magical time, and uh, it will be in my memory for as long as I'm around. What a great story, that's Al. Special. It's so oh, special. man, that is so Tremendous. That Tremendous. is incredible. Yeah. We've got you know, to do. You a, tell that story. Some people don't think, "Oh gosh, you're making this up." And uh-uh. like I said, this is absolutely true. We got to do our next break. We'll be right back. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Tramp and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job little lady up the road a piece won't strike a deal with you about water rights you out there come one step near and old best here'll spit right in your eye so you need to strike your own deal but you need the right henchman to do the job the stage is hauling a wells fargo box loaded with gold you've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold but blank henchman to pull off the job what to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scruffy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a Renahance to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Renahance, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. Now look, you fellas come riding here making accusations. You're strangers to me. I don't see why I should take your word against Sharkies. Yeah, how do we know they didn't pull a murder and robbery themselves? So that's it. That's why you're so darn cocky. You think it's your three against one that you... You can't get away with that, Glasgow. We don't bluff that easy. This is the Voices of the West. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. David Layton is here with us. Our guest is Al Fleming. The book is Following That Dream from Elvis to Hollywood there. He and can't uh, get away with that, Harry. Hey, my, that's my man, Harry Carey. That's my man. That is my man right there. Right there. I, You know, there's lots of cowboy actors out there, but I'll tell you what. 
Harry Carey. Harry Carey is is the one. All right. Uh, our Oliver Reed. What, uh, yeah, our time is running uh, uh, not the best here. So, Al, let's talk about the uh, what Todd wants you to tell that story about Oliver Reed. So go Earth for offerings. it. Oh, Oliver Reed. <laughs> now, there's a character. Uh, we were doing a film called Burnt Offerings. We were shooting up in Oakland, California. And Oliver Reed is, uh, I've never met him before. He's a interesting guy. He's crazier than a nut cake and he's an alcoholic <laughs> drug addict i mean you name it he does it well anyhow we we had gotten to know each other and he was, he was kind of the macho guy trying to be macho uh, and i was a pretty big guy you know and I, I i this macho crap didn't go well with me at all i said you know if i gotta work with this so-and-so for the six weeks or something i said we gotta come to some kind of understanding anyhow we, we had a few little tussles and arm wrestles and everything. We find out, okay, we're just going to be friends. So we were all out at a at a restaurant one. He invited a few of the crew members himself to go out to have a bite of dinner on him. And we went to a place called the Rusty Pelican, which was a pretty uh, exclusive place there in, in Oakland. Famous. And on the way home, he he said, "Well, come on, we're all we're all going up to my room, and we're gonna we're gonna have a few drinks and a few laughs and everything." And so, uh, you know, we'd all have a few drinks already and everything, and so we, a group of us went up there, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a nosy guy, and I like history and weapons and things like that, so when we walked into his room, I noticed over in the corner there were two beautiful rapiers, uh, fighting swords that he had used in the making of three musketeers. So like a dummy, I said, Oliver, can I look at those swords? He said, oh, sure, mate. So I, ha- I was looking at one, and he picks up the other one, and he says, on guard. I went, what? He said, defend yourself. And I went, wait a second. And he was, I mean, he was drunk and smoked a little grass, and he was pretty loopy. And so I went, I'd, I'd studied fencing a little bit, but I was by no means a swordsman. So I'm trying to fend myself off, because this crazy bastard was trying, actually trying to kill me. And I'm going, clang, 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 and all of Oliver's crew is trying to come on, Oliver, come on, quit, come on, quit, come on, quit. And I'm saying, get the son of a bitch off me. He's going to kill me. I'm, I'm going to be killed by a sword. And how's my mother going to feel about that? You know. <laughs> so I, I'm looking. I figured my only hope of getting out of this because he's drunk and crazy. I said, if I can get to the door and open the door, I can make a run for it. And he probably won't come after me because he's too drunk. So. Okay. I make it to the door and kind of backed out of the door and go clang, 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 and a sword will ring. And there's nobody in. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. There's nobody in the hallways of this hotel. And I don't know how, but somehow I must have looked. I, I nicked him on the chin and it, was, it bled. And being sweaty, it looked like his whole face had been cut over. His blood running all down the front of his shirt and everything. And I went, oh, Christ. This, this got even crazier. So he slaps me and just opens my knuckles up, and they start bleeding. I got blood running all out of his shirt and sweat and everything. So I go, we go out into the hallway, and you got to realize there's about eight people following us, screaming, "Come on, Oliver, quit!" Papa. A total commotion, yeah. and still we're going clang, 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 clang. And I'm trying to. I figure my only hope now is at the end of the hallway. There's a fire escape, which is a the window open. There's like circular slide that goes down to two stories to the to the ground floor. And I figure if I can get to that and jump onto this slide, surely he will not follow me. He'll kill himself coming down the stairs or going down the slide. Somebody will save me. And Betty Davis, who was one of the actresses on the show, she had a, a room about three doors down from Oliver's, and it it took. Two or three o'clock in the morning, the sound of these swords. I mean, they they clanged and banged, and people off. It made a lot of racket, and so, so I got blood all down my arm, and he's got blood all over his face, and all these crazies falling and screaming and holler. Betty Davis comes to her door and opens it up, and she's in her nightgown, and she sees me bloody, him bloody, and his sword flashing, and all these <laughs> crazies. She goes. Slams her door and calls hotel security and uh, Oakland police. So, working my way down towards the, you know, the elevator, and uh, there's two hallways that open into the hallway we were in. And about I don't know, it seemed like forever, but probably 
two or three minutes, the, ho- the hotel security is there with drawn guns, Oakland p- police there draw- with drawn guns. And I mean, we were really bloody now because of the sweat and everything. We were a mess. And as soon as the police showed up, Oliver dropped his sword, I dropped my sword, Oliver sobered up immediately. I've never seen anybody in my life do this. He sobered up and became the English gentleman. And so, officers, we were just practicing for a scene in the movie. We didn't mean to disturb anybody, blah, 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 blah. So they turned us loose and I lived. <laughs> so it was, that whole film was just craziness after craziness with this guy. But mm-hmm. I liked him, but I, I refused to do another film with him because he was just too... You're just too crazy. And rightly so. Hey, we got to do our final commercial break here. We'll come back with uh, our guest, Al Fleming, the book Following That Dream from Elvis to Hollywood. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We'll be back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. Imus Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tanker Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Was it you or a Jeff here that plugged Tom Dillon in the back? I didn't do it, Ma. Somebody shoot Dillon? You're not going to get away with it this time. You didn't give him the chance I'm going to give you. You're healed, so go for your guns. I won't have no fight. Stand back and hold your horses. I come here for justice. Not the kind you shorthorns deal out. Make your play. This is the Voices of the West. Down on the prairie where my pal 
clothes never change. Make my home in that carefree country, land of the open range. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander. Bunker de France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, David Leighton is here with us. Our guest is uh, author Al Fleming. The book is Following That Dream from Elvis to Hollywood. And uh, if you want to get it from Amazon, you better get it quickly because they only got a couple of them left. Well, you may have to fight for it. Al, we're running out of time and we have not had anywhere near the time to get to talk with you about all of the great stories or hear all the great stories that you've got about um, uh, working in Hollywood as a makeup artist, as a, uh, as a stuntman, as an actor. Is there one favorite thing that you did in Hollywood that, uh, I mean... Stands it, out. Yeah, that stands out over everything else? Well, gosh, I... I guess my, one of my most exciting minutes, I, I won an Oscar for costume design on a TV series called The Magnificent Seven, yeah, yeah. which I never thought I would uh, have a, I mean, excuse me, Emmy. Uh, and that was probably one of the most exciting things. I got so doggone many stories. I, I think one of the things I'm most thankful for is being able to work with Sam Peckinpah on a number of things and getting to know Sam really mm, well. Cause interesting. He taught me more about filmmaking and a lot of things that... Uh, anybody I've ever met. I really respected the guy and miss him a lot. So, Do you what, have a story to tell us about Sam? And quickly, please. I've got a million stories to yeah, tell let, you about let, Make a short one. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. There is no short ones. That's right. It's not possible. There is no, no, there's no there's, well, Sam, there's no short ones. No. All right. Well, in, in, given that. Okay, uh, let, we, me, let me ask him something real quick, Mark. Okay. Uh, I think we share a good friend, Bill O'Hagan. Oh yeah, he just passed away. I I heard that. I was just I used to go over to his place. He had the neatest house in there in Studio City. It was down yep. in a little hollow below the old Republic Studio. And I used to go down I used to love his place. Just probably like your places. Just decked out total western and he Oh yeah, Bill and I did rodeos together, we did Wild West shows together, we yeah. did jousting shows at the Renaissance Ferry. He, he was my best friend until he passed away. He moved to Arizona, Arizona, of course. And he never wore underwear. Wow. Oh, oh too much information. <laughs> okay, one last thing here. Thank you, this is, this is just kind of a, a quick, okay, Freddie. Uh, let me see if I can present this right. Uh, Miss Crawford, would you like an hors d'oeuvre? <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> and to yes. get that story, you're going to That gonna was actually to... Barbara, Barbara Stanwyck. That's right, Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're going to have to get the book, Following That Dream from Elvis to Hollywood, because we're just plumb out of time. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's the best everybody. way to get the book, too, is order it for me direct, uh, box 964, Fraser Park, California, $15 postpaid and signed. There you go. Got a commercial in. <laughs> hey, what you got coming that. up, anyway? Yeah, what you got coming up? Well, right now I'm just working on a screenplay with uh, for Hallmark uh, Films, uh, a Christmas story, uh, a Mountain Man Christmas story for the Christmas season. Sounds like it might be, what, what was the movie that uh, Jeff Bridges did? Uh, the Christmas movie? Oh, no, you're, talk, you're talking about, uh, oh, no, uh, Stubby Pringle's Stubby Christmas. Pringle's, it sounds like, it's not, it's not, yeah, it sounds like a Stubby Pringle uh, story oh, that he's working on there. Christmas Wilderness with yeah. the officer. Or, yeah, well, you know, or, or that. it's always fun to have something that's enlightening and fun for people at Christmas instead of all this political bullshit that's going on. It's <laughs> something happy, and if, if guys that like the mountain men and things like that, I think they would enjoy it. There you go. There you go. And you're still an active shooter, right? You still go out oh, and yeah. do cowboy shooting? I sure do, as many as often as I can. You know, I kind of go out behind the house here and burn powder all the time. There you go. Harry here is a black powder man, I'm a black powder shooter. I love that stuff. Nothing like the smell of black powder in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Flash in the pan. (laughs) Al Fleming, thank you so much for joining us, man. This has been a hoot. And, uh, you know, we may just have to have you back on the show if that's amenable to you. Anytime. Oh. So many stories we didn't yeah. get to. I mean, there are just tons of stories. Next time it's we get... It's always fun to talk about the good old days. Excellent. Yeah. Al Fleming, Fleming, thank you so much. The book is Following That Dream from Elvis to Hollywood. Next time we get together on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, it is going to be Movie Saturday, 
And we're going to do Custer movies. Because that's the day that Custer died at Greasy Grass. That's to be the last stand, as it were. And so that's it for this edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 78, 79, follow those 80 oaks. And so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 